You're listening to Freedom Christian Fellowship's podcast. Because it's what we've always done. It's because it speaks to something higher. It speaks to Jesus Christ. And only through Jesus Christ are we able to seal all the promises that God has given us. It's only through Jesus that we understand and fully know the love of the Father. And that's why we celebrate communion every week. Because it's our way of saying, Jesus, only through you do we receive these things. But then immediately we come into the Word. And we are, our hearts are ready to receive and our minds are open to receive from the Word of God so that the Word of God can come in like a seed and be planted into the soil of our hearts and take root. And why do we need to hear the Word of God? Because the Word of God is active and alive. It produces something in us that causes us to walk in who we were created to be in Christ Jesus. And so when we come to this portion of our service, the Word, we should have our hearts set and our minds ready to receive. Amen? All right. So this morning, we're going to be talking about uh, spiritual warfare, understanding spiritual warfare. All right? So brace yourself. Get ready. It's going to be good. Hopefully, it will be um, light. This is not going to be heavy. This is not going to be scary. Whether you've never heard about this before or you feel like you are immersed in this uh, topic, it doesn't matter. We're going to look at the Word of God, and we're going to understand what the Bible says about spiritual warfare. But let's pray, okay? Father, we do come before you this morning with our hearts open and our minds ready to receive from your Word. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are here, that you are moving. Father, I pray right now in the name of Jesus that every heart would be able to receive from your Word today what you are saying where you want to bring us in the place of your victory concerning spiritual warfare. And so, Holy Spirit, let your peace begin to rest on people so that we can receive from you everything that you have for us today. Amen. Amen. All right. So we're talking about spiritual warfare today, and this is going to end up being a series, just maybe a few weeks. And here's why we're talking about spiritual warfare. Because spiritual warfare is real. It's real. If you don't believe spiritual warfare is real, you're living in a a delusional place. Um, And I understand that some of you may have come from a place where you've never heard it talked about before or never heard it expressed before. And, And sometimes under that context, we just tend to believe that it doesn't exist, but we don't understand why we feel pressure or opposition, especially when we are trying to walk in the truth of God's Word, whether it's concerning somebody else, a relationship, or our calling. We feel the pressure, and oftentimes when we don't understand, we relent. We back off of those things because it feels too big or too great. So God desires for us to understand this. But another reason why we're talking about spiritual warfare is because it's often misunderstood. My own life, um, I've only grown up in what's called a spirit-filled, charismatic church from the day I was born until this very moment. And I've told this story before, but it's kind of comical. I grew up in a family where one of my mom's favorite forms of discipline was to just rebuke the devil out of me, my sister, and my brother. We would be doing something stupid, and, and my mom would get frustrated, and she would just say, I rebuke you, devil. <laughs> and we're like, I'll be looking at my siblings. I'm like, she's definitely talking to you guys. <laughs> she's not talking to me. I'm an angel. <laughs> and I grew up uh, thinking there was a devil around every corner. I grew up going, ah, oh, I would watch these, these movies, and if you were ever a product of the, the charismatic church in the 80s, you've seen them. I mean, scary, scary movies. You listen to the wrong music, ah, the devil's got you, you know? It's like, you're, you're, ah, you know, he's going to get you. You play with the wrong toy, it's going to come out. Your, your toys are going to talk to you, and they're going to be filled with demons. And it got really, really scary, but the problem with this is that we can over-accentuate the authority of the enemy over that of the authority of Jesus Christ. And that's problematic. That's a problem. Because nowhere in the Bible does the Scripture ever refer to the enemy's authority being greater than Jesus Christ. 
And so we need to understand this from a biblical perspective. We need to look at the Word and understand this. And another reason why spiritual warfare is misunderstood because often we feel the most pressure in our lives when we're attempting to do something for Jesus. And there's times that we'll get stopped dead in our tracks because we feel this and we can't identify it or we feel like the attack of the enemy is too great or too big and we just stop. And that's never God's intent either. God does not intend for us ever to stop pursuing Him and the calling that He's given us. And so we're going to look at three things this morning. We're going to look at what the Bible says about spiritual warfare. What the Bible says about spiritual warfare. We're not going to guess. We're not going to make fairy tales up. We're not going to make it bigger than what it is. I'm not going to use a lot of stories of times that it's happened, even though I have plenty. I'm going to, we're going to talk about what the Word of God says. And then we're going to talk about why we need to understand how the enemy attempts, key word is attempts, to work in our lives. But then finally, where the victory comes in is we're going to talk about what Jesus Christ has done to secure our victory in any spiritual conflict or any time spiritual warfare is taking place in our life. And the goal for this morning is this, is that as we understand this, we begin to walk in a greater level of victory that Jesus has called us in, and we pursue our calling to the degree in which Jesus has called us to pursue it, okay? There's five times that the New Testament uses very specific wording to talk about the enemy's authority. Five times, five times in the New Testament. I'm going to write these down for you, okay? If you can bear with me here. And I want you to take notes if you feel comfortable. Ephesians 6, 12. Let me apologize for my chicken scratch and my misspelling. All right, I'm going to do that in advance. Ephesians 6.12, this is what it says. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against powers of the dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers against the authorities, against the powers of the dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. Here, the Holy Spirit is speaking through Paul to the church in Ephesus and is giving the foundational block on understanding how the enemy desires to work in our lives to sidetrack us off of our calling. And here's what I want you to see. By contradiction... When we begin to wrestle with flesh and blood, that means when we begin to wrestle with people, whether it's in our mind, don't raise your hand, but how many of you have wrestled with people in your mind this week? Oh, if I could just give that person a piece of my mind, I can't believe they're acting that way. I like to choke that person. Some of you have thought that this week. I know you have. You are getting involved in a spiritual conflict. There is spiritual warfare that is raging around you. And so Paul uses this contradiction to say, if you get to this place, you need to understand that you are not actually wrestling against flesh and blood, but you're wrestling against something else. And there's three terms that Paul uses here, I want to talk about them, that give us an understanding of the hierarchy of the enemy on this earth. Don't get worried and don't get nervous, all right? I'm going to keep saying this, Jesus won, don't worry, all right? Jesus won. All right, so the first is, is here. So we see rulers. And this is the Greek word arche, arche, which means this, that which is from the beginning. Now, a little bit of Bible history lesson, very quick in a nutshell. We all know that the devil was an angel. If you don't know that, you know now. And he was there, and what did the devil do? The devil sought to bring himself up to the status of God. What happened as a result of that? He and a legion of, of angels who agreed with him were banished out of heaven. They were cast down, the scripture tells us. And those demons and those who followed Satan in that pursuit, those are uh, the things that were from the very beginning. And that's what that Greek word means. That which is from the beginning. Why do you need to know that? Why, why is that even important? It's because the enemy understands the way that man thinks. 
He knows the way that we think. He knows that if He can offset our eyes and begin to get us to elevate ourselves to the status of God where our reliance is not upon God, He by fault has caused us to trip up and come into a place where we can be deceived. The next word here we see is authority. Authorities. And this word here in the Greek is cosmocrator. Cosmocrator. And this is what that means. It's the, it's the level of the earth. It's the level of the earth. Cosmos is the earth. And so there is an influence that the enemy has on the earth. It was given to him through sin. We're going to talk more about that in a little bit. But it was given to him through sin. And so there is active work of the enemy on the earth trying to stir up dissent, to try to stir up violence, to try to stir up confusion on the earth. Now, that, that is not, should not be a revelation to anybody here. All you have to do is turn on the news and see that that is at work. All you have to do is to watch anything political on the t- television to understand that there is something at work that is influencing the hearts and the minds of men that is causing them to act like fools. Right? Everybody agree on that? And then the final thing that Paul says here is this, is spiritual forces. And this is the Greek word exousia, which is this, is just the power that the enemy has on the earth. Now, here's what I want you to understand about this. Because of sin, the enemy was granted authority and power on the earth to attempt to influence the hearts and the minds of men. However, that authority was broken through Jesus Christ. But there is a real authority that the enemy has on the earth. And that authority is limited through Jesus Christ, but is also limited through time. And here's what I mean when I say that. Is that there is a time that will come. And hear me on this. The scripture says this. There is a time that will come where the God of this earth, the little God, the enemy that has the authority on this earth, cosmocrator, right, and has power on this earth, will be silenced and ultimately be destroyed, and God will make a new heaven and a new earth. Why is that important? Because it has always been God's intent, intent from the very beginning when He created heaven and earth, and he sat Adam and Eve in the middle of the Garden of Eden in perfection to come back to that place. And it speaks to something about the very nature of the heart of God that is powerful. Is that he has never intended to leave his creation in a fallen, broken place. And he has secured that in the meantime, between now and then, through Jesus. And the way that we live in that reality is through Jesus. So we see these three words that are used five different times in the New Testament. There are demonic forces that have been from the very beginning. They are assigned and assembled in some form or fashion. They have an agenda, a mission. There's territorial things that follow different areas. I hope that I'm not losing anybody or or people aren't going, "What what in the what are you talking about? But you can see certain things that exist over different areas of the world that have caused people to be in poverty, to cause people to be, uh, societies to be thrust in violence. And all of these things, according to Ephesians 6.12, are not stemming from flesh and blood, but from spiritual forces, demonic forces. It's at work on the earth. The next time we see this is this. In Colossians Two, fifteen. This is what it says. And having disarmed these powers and authorities, the same two Greek words we just talked about, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. This is the very next thing that we see in the New Testament concerning spiritual authority from the enemy. But here is what the truth is, is that the enemy's authority has been limited and absolutely held in check by the authority of Jesus. Let me read this again. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, 
This is what happened at the cross. When the enemy thought that he had broken Jesus, he had killed Jesus at the cross, the plan of the enemy that influenced the hearts of those who nailed Jesus to the cross, he thought that he had killed Jesus, but there was a higher plan in place, don't we know? And that plan was this, is that nothing, absolutely nothing could hold Jesus down. But through the resurrection, not only sin's power was broken, but the enemy's authority was broken on this earth as well. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Jesus disarmed the authority of the enemy at the cross. The next time we see it is in Ephesians 3. 10 and 11. I'm spending the time to write these down because I hope you're writing them down too. My hope is that you take these and it begins to be strength to you and you begin to understand this. Here's what Ephesians 10, 3, 10 and 11 says. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly realms according to His eternal purpose that He accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. The Scripture teaches us something very powerful about the church. Not only did Jesus disarm the enemy's authority through the resurrection, but He placed that authority in the church. Here's my church building. He placed that authority in the church. He gave it to you and I so that the church would begin to execute the mission of Jesus on this earth free from fear. Free free from the threat of any kind of spiritual opposition that could ever come against us. Jesus did this. And He made this wisdom, this intent, Known through the church that when we understand this as the body of Christ, we can go about and do things like we are doing here at Freedom Christian Fellowship. We can go and bless the community. We can believe that as we do simple, tangible acts of love, that they are more than just giving people stuff. They are influencing people with the love of Jesus. Why? Because there are people who the Scripture tells us that the enemy has attempted to blind their eyes. And the only way that they're going to be set free is when the church stands up in its authority, knowing that the work of the cross is in them sufficient enough to break that authority that the enemy has tried to lay on top of people. You make that? Does that make sense? Okay. Keep going. We see it again in Romans. 8, oops, 37 to 39. Romans 8, 37 to 39 says this, No, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor powers, again this word, Neither height nor depth nor anything else in all the creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. In contrast to any attack of the plan or plan of the enemy, we are called to overcome. And I want to just kind of deliver this to you guys in this place and understand that in Romans 8, 37-39, it tells us a very powerful truth. And here we see Paul talking here. And if we understand anything about Paul's life, we know that When God called him and and rescued him and saved him and brought him into this radical place of following him, he wasn't promised a perfect place on this earth. He wasn't promised a peaceful life on this earth. He actually knew full well that he was going to be facing a lot of opposition. And so this is a confession out of Paul's heart toward the end of his journey. And he says this as a reminder to every one of us that I want you to know something. I am convinced of this 
that I am more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, that there is nothing, there's not any spiritual authority that the enemy may have, any kind of demonic authority that may rest on this earth that is greater or able to separate me from the knowledge and the understanding that has transformed me of the love of Jesus. See, there's a powerful thing that happens to a person who walks in that authority. See, when we understand that and there is nothing that can separate us, there's not a fear or a threat or an opposition or a pressure that can come against us that will separate us from the revelation of the love of Jesus, we begin to carry the love of Jesus boldly everywhere we go. What Paul's saying here is he's saying this, what makes me a conqueror is understanding who I am in Jesus Christ, and that nothing, nothing can separate that. Let's talk for a minute about why we feel the enemy's attacks sometimes in our life. If these scriptures are true, and they are, why do we still feel pressure from time to time? Why do we wrestle in relationships with people Why do we struggle in this area? Why do we feel that sometimes when we step out to do what God's called us to do? That there's a bit of kickback. And I just want to use my simple explanation so that we understand some of the ways that the enemy begins to work in our life. And here's how I want to do it. By expressing to you three different dimensions. Ground level what I call 10,000 feet and then 30,000 feet. There's three different levels that we need to understand. As a matter of fact, in Ephesians 3, the Scripture tells us this, that Jesus Christ has settled us in heavenly realms. And this picture, this understanding of this term heavenly realms deals with these dimensions that we exist in. I don't want to lose anybody here, but I need you to understand this. I want you to follow what the Word is saying. Because too often what happens is that we get stuck at ground level, and we don't understand what's happening at 10,000 or 30,000 feet. Now, these are not literal 10,000 or 30,000 feet. Because if I tell you there's demonic activity at 10,000 feet, none of you are going to get in an airplane again. Right? I'm just using this as an illustration for you to understand. Because on the ground level, something is happening that I want to talk to you about. And at 10,000 feet, if you can imagine this with me, that there is activity in a heavenly realm. And then again, when the scripture uses heavenly realm, I want you not to think about heavenly in terms of our Father who is in heaven, but I want you to think of it in terms of dimensions. Because this is what the scripture literally means when it says this. Is that there is activity raging in this realm that we do not see that is not tangible in our natural senses, but we feel it. We feel it. And this level right here is demonic. But I want to tell you 30,000 feet is the truth that Jesus is trying to bring us to, and 30,000 feet is where Jesus is seated. And so Jesus invites us to this place of understanding that though even we are at ground level, That we need to see past the 10,000 foot view all the way up to the 30,000 foot view. Let's talk about ground level for just a second. Everybody still okay? All right, good. All right. So at ground level, this is what happens. And ground level is a place of conflict. Ground level is a place of conflict. Not because Jesus has not overcome. He's fully overcome But it's because we live in a place where we are having to make decisions on what we are going to agree with. We live on this earth having to make decisions every day as God speaks to us, as we feel the presence of God, as we get into the word. Are we going to believe what God says in light of what we see on this earth? And so here's something that I want to point you back to. Just open up your Bibles or just get ready for this. In Matthew 6, 9 through 13... We see something very familiar that we've probably all read a bunch in the Lord's Prayer. 
Because on the ground level, here's what's happening. That we're encountering people whose eyes have been blinded. They've been closed off. They've not understood the love and the nature of God. We are encountering people and encountering things and encountering areas that are demonically influenced. Uh, Hold on. Stop. Pause. I'm going to take a drink of coffee. We're going to reset. Okay. When I felt like the Lord spoke this to me, I understood something. And I wrestled and wrestled and wrestled and wrestled with this for a lot of weeks before I I let this kind of get developed in my heart and my mind. There is shut off words. Shut off words. When we say words like demonic, we talk about the enemy, spiritual warfare, these kind of things. To some of you, they are shut off words. Either because you are afraid of them or you think they're spooky. And I want to tell you something, that that is not true. The word demonic, spiritual forces, principalities, authorities, these kind of things, these things that exist on the earth, there is no measure of these things in light of who Jesus Christ is. There is no measure. There's not even a comparison between the two. And so when we look at the earth today, and we draw questions like, God, where are you in this situation? When we see this raging in parts of the earth, God, where are you? Maybe you've not had that question, but somebody you know has had that question. I cannot believe in God because of what I see moving on the earth right now. And I want to tell you that God is not responsible for this. What is responsible for this is an agreement that the original Adam made with sin, with the enemy, that gave permission for the enemy to begin to move on the earth. And so when we see demonic conflict, it is all that is, is an opportunity to allow the authority of Jesus to shine through us in a greater way that breaks that. That breaks that. In Matthew 6, 9 through 13, Jesus invites us to a very special place. This is Jesus speaking. He says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. There's many things that the Lord's Prayer teaches us. It's like an onion. There's lots of layers on it. But one of the things that the Lord's Prayer teaches us is how to seat ourselves concerning any kind of spiritual attack that we feel. Is even though we're at ground level, Jesus has provided us a very beautiful place, an invitation to come up to the 30,000 foot level of where He is. That's why when Jesus was asked, how do we pray by the disciples, by those who are gathered around him? They knew how to pray. Believe me, if you don't know this, they knew how to pray. Jews prayed three times a day. They They prayed from the scriptures. But Jesus was saying, I want you to pray this way. Because I want your heart and your mind to be seated where I'm seated. I want you to pray this. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The only way that the, that the kingdom of heaven is manifest on the earth is when we as a people of God begin to seat our hearts and minds where Jesus is. But Jesus said, listen, I understand that there's a lot of distance between ground level and where I am. There's a lot of decisions that have to be made, a lot of choices that are going to be chosen upon who you're going to forgive, who you're going to love, how you're going to get over stuff, how you're going to walk through the bumps and the bruises of life. And this is what I want you to do. If you really desire for the kingdom to come on earth right now before it literally comes in the future tense, I want you to pray this. Give us today our daily bread. I need you to be reliant upon me. 
I need you to come to me every day because I want to resource you in a measure of my love that secures you every day. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Here's what Jesus is saying. Live as a free people. There's no mistake between Ephesians 6 and what Jesus is saying. You don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but if you spend all your time fighting against people and you don't recognize that this is a spiritual attack, that there is something behind the scenes that is operating, you're never going to get into a place where you can truly forgive and release somebody. But Jesus says, I want you to live as a free people, but first you have to be seated where I'm seated so that where I am can come to you and you can begin to release and forgive people. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This is what Jesus is saying. Ask me for the power to make the decisions that are rooted in who I am and where I am, not what you see. That you would agree upon the right things. That you wouldn't bail out on the truth of what I've spoken to you through my word because you feel pressure coming. That you wouldn't give up. That you wouldn't pull up anchor from where I've told you to be because the waves are churning so high and so fast and so furious. But ask me for the authority. Ask me for the power to lead you into a place of life and free from temptation. In this place, at ground level, decisions are made. Decisions are made. Agreement is made based off of what we are going to believe about who Jesus is and what He is calling us to do, both as a person and as a church. And in this place, we have to begin to lock in past the area of where the activity is to the place where Jesus is seated. And isn't it a beautiful thing that Jesus says, listen, hey, don't worry about what's going on down there. Hey, you're just going to make it until I come. Just, you're going to struggle a little bit until I come. Hey, don't worry about it. I'm up here. Hey, guess, guess what? Read the end of the book, and I got it all under control. Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus says, actually, what I want to do is I want you to know, yes, I got it taken care of, but between now and then, I want to give you who I am and where I am seated and how I've overcome. I want to put that in you so that you can overcome so that you can have victory, and that you can have life, and you can display the truth of my love. All right? Let's talk about the 10,000. Again, not literal. Not literal. Let's go back to Ephesians 6, 12. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but the rulers, authorities, powers of this dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. The agenda of the enemy is very simple. It's what he himself attempted to do in heaven and failed. His agenda is to deceive believers, to incite violence, to set up territorial forces that oppose the work of God on the earth. They have assignments over areas, and they have a realm of influence only through the hearts and the minds of men. Now, I want you to listen very carefully. I've said it a bunch, but I want you to listen very carefully. The authority of the enemy in anybody's life, the life of the believer or the unbeliever can only take hold and have an effect if it is agreed upon. I want to show this to you in two different places. In Genesis 3 and then in Matthew 4. These are the most two notable in-your-face tangible attacks the enemy has ever presented against man. The first one came, the first one came to Eve, to Adam, the first Adam. And it came in the form of a question. 
It came in the form of a question. And this is important because a question that is asked in order for it to be believed has to be agreed upon. See, even in the garden, the enemy knew that he did not have the authority to make Eve eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He knew that he did not have the authority forcibly to take that fruit and put it in her mouth and make her bite down on it. He didn't. She had to agree with the lie before that fruit was bitten into. And it came in the form of a question. This is what the enemy said to Eve. Did God, did God, did God really say to you, you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Did God, question, did God, question mark, say, did God speak to you? Did God present himself to you? Was that really an interaction, Eve, that you had with God? Or is it something that you just heard Adam say? Did God say that? And the second that that doubt slipped into Eve's mind, the enemy knew he had a foothold to introduce her into a place, an attempt to elevate herself to the position of God. Now remember, remember this. That the enemy is not the creator. He is not the originator. He is not, he doesn't have an original bone in his body. He is counterfeit 100%. Only God is creator. Only God is originator. Only God is the one who can take and bring life from nothing. And so in the heavens, when the devil tried to exalt himself to the place of God, when that failed, his attempt on the earth has always been to try to get man to exalt themselves to the place of God. And so this question that he gives Eve, did God really say to you, you can't eat from any tree of the garden, was an attempt. And we know from the ensuing conversation that takes place, because Eve goes, no, he didn't say that except that I can't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then the enemy comes back and says, you know why he said that is because he doesn't want you to be like him. And he knows that when you take and eat from this fruit, you will be like him. Who does that sound like? It sounds like exactly what he did before God. Don't you know? Don't you know? He doesn't want you to do that because he doesn't want you to be as powerful as he will be. And Eve being deceived, the agreed upon lie, she takes and she eats from the fruit. And what takes place there is that through that act of agreement, the authority of the enemy is placed on the earth. The trap of the enemy has been set and has been agreed upon by man. This is significant. I want you to hear this because Adam and Eve are more than, more than just the first people that God created. They're more than just the creation story. They are symbolically representative of mankind, period. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us that there's two Adams. There's Adam from creation, and then there's Jesus, who is what the Bible calls the second Adam. The second Adam. And when the enemy was able to deceive the first Adam, and get Adam and Eve to bite from the fruit of the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil... He introduced his authority on the earth in a way to slip into the hearts and the minds of men to influence them and get them off of the call and the identity of God in their life. What took place? Come on, we all know this story. What took place when Adam and Eve did that? Immediately, their sin was recognizable to themselves. And they took, and what did they do? They hid from God, right? Why is that such a big deal? It's because Adam and Eve, the Bible says, walked naked in the garden, bare, vulnerable before God without shame prior to sin. But when sin was introduced, they hid from God. They hid from their creator. They hid from their identity. They hid from the truth of the Father. And that's what the enemy's plan was to do, was to separate man's heart from the knowledge of the love of God. Let's go on to Matthew 4. Because here we see the second face to face. And this time it's with Satan and Jesus at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And again, another question is introduced to try to get Jesus to slip up. In Matthew 4, when Jesus is in the wilderness fasting, and it's interesting about Matthew 4, by the way, is the scripture actually says this. 
that Jesus was led away into the wilderness to be tempted. I want to tell you why I believe that's significant. It's because the second Adam, Jesus Christ, did something on the earth. And one of the reasons why Jesus had to come in the form of a man was not just to be the sinless, perfect sacrifice But one of the things that Jesus did in the flesh in his ministry in Matthew 4 was broke the authority of spiritual attack of the enemy on the earth in the heart of every man and woman that would ever put their faith in Jesus Christ. Because in Matthew 4 in the wilderness we see Jesus and he's tired and he's hungry and he's in a vulnerable spot and the enemy presents himself to him and says this three times, if you are the Son of God, if you are the Son of God, If you will bow down to me, if you are the Son of God, question mark. If you are the Son of God, question mark. Jesus, are you the Son of God? Can you do what you said you can do? Do you trust your Father in the vulnerable, weak state that you're in? Do you believe that you're the Messiah? Why? Why did the enemy even do that? Because he was trying to get Jesus off of his ministry, off of his identity of what he came to do on the earth. But I want to tell you something that's so marvelous about what Jesus did. Is that Jesus stood fully as God and fully as man. Fully as man and overcame the devil rooted in his identity and his authority in his father. Oh, man. And he broke the curse of the first Adam by displaying the authority of his father in the face of the enemy in that moment and overcoming. But the question was still there in this realm. Has anybody ever stopped and thought about that for a second? And the significance of that moment for just a second. To say, here we have Jesus Christ, fully God. Wouldn't he be the one person who is not susceptible to an attack of the enemy? And that question begs to raise several important things about the truth of any kind of warfare that we might face. Is that even Jesus faced spiritual warfare. Even Jesus had an all-out demonic attack against him. But it also says this, That as fully God and fully man, he overcame. These questions presented himself. And the enemy, again, was trying to get Jesus, fully God, fully man, to be removed off of his identity. See, this is the way that the enemy desires to work in our life. He wants to shake Our identity. He wants to shake our identity. If he can remove us from the truth of the word of God, he'll shake our identity. He wants to shake our identity. He wants to shake our calling. If you've never heard this before, I want to be the first person to tell you that every person here is called of God to do something amazing, something powerful. You are called of God to do something bigger than you that is filled with the purpose of God. And if the enemy can't shake our identity, the enemy will shake our calling. He will try to remove the purposes of God out from underneath of us. Don't raise your hand, but again, I know that there's some folks here in this room that have stepped out and something they felt God called them to do, and when they did, they felt all hell break loose against them. That's not accidental. That's on purpose. Because the enemy hates the calling of God in the hearts of God's sons and daughters. He does not want the testimony of Jesus to flow out of you. Third thing that happened, the enemy will try to do. Told you about my chicken scratch, sorry. Our understanding of God the Father. The enemy will try to compromise our understanding of who God the Father is. Because if he can remove our trust in who God is as our Father, he knows that he can shake us. And then finally, I want you to pay attention to this one, please. 
the enemy can't get our identity, he can't steal our calling, if he can't shake our understanding of the, the nature of God as our, as our Father, he will attack our relationships with one another. He will attack our relationships with one another. He will try to divide. He will try to divide. If you've ever wondered how the enemy works in your life, and the only reason I'm telling you this, believe me, this message is about to turn up way up, all right? But I want you to tell, I want you to understand. Scripture actually encourages us, do not be unwise. Understand the schemings of the enemy. If you ever have wondered, if you're feeling any of these things, and you are going, listen, I don't know what's happening. I don't know what's taking place. I don't know what's wrong with me. I want to tell you that there is a spiritual demonic thing that is taking behind the scenes. The enemy is trying to come against you. Let's talk about the 30,000 foot view and how we win. Because this is what we want to know. This is how we win spiritual warfare. Ephesians 1. Justin, come on up, bud. Hope you're getting something. Hope you see this, all right? Let me read this to you. This is what Paul prayed. Another familiar passage, Ephesians 1, 18 through 23. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as his mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly realms, far above, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion. Again, these three words that we see in Ephesians 6. And every name that is invoked, not only in this present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed him, placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Now, this is your victory. This is your victory. And I want you to get this mental image in your head that when Jesus Christ went to the cross, the Bible says that significant things took place. Is that when he was in the grave, he descended, meaning he went into Hades, and he took the keys of death, hell, and the grave away from the enemy. But he didn't stay in that place. The Bible says that he who descended also ascended. And when Jesus ascended, God sat him at his place of honor where he is due, where God himself is seated. But there's something significant that takes place in that seated position that Jesus Christ wants us to know. Is that every kind of spiritual authority, any kind of demonic assignment, any kind of hierarchy the enemy has given, been given on this earth through sin was crushed. Because the scripture that we just read here in Ephesians 1 tells us this. That God didn't just exalt him to the highest place because, because he broke the power of sin. But he exalted him to the highest place. So that the authority of sin, the fear of sin, the fear of the assignment of the enemy would forever, forever, forever be broken. And he proved it by seating him down on the throne and then said, Jesus, I want to give you a footstool for your throne. And here's your footstool. Everything that has ever come against my people has come against that will ever come against my church. It's been placed under your feet. So no longer does the authority of the enemy hold at the 10,000 foot level. No longer does it roam around looking on who it's going to pick on. Trying to pick off the weak sheep. Trying to beat up on the person who is down or low. In Jesus Christ, that authority has been broken. And it's been put below ground level. This is what the resurrection is. When we come and we eat of the bread and we drink of the juice, I want to tell you something. We're celebrating that. We're celebrating that. That in Jesus Christ, when I put my faith in Jesus, and if you don't know Jesus today, I don't know how you're doing it. It's really simple. Just say, Jesus, I believe at the cross you paid for my sins, and I receive your love. It's the greatest love I'll ever know. 
I don't ever want to be in a place where I don't know the love of Jesus. Why? Because He didn't just secure heaven for me. He secured my today for me. He called me. He positioned me. He put me in His purpose. Well, that sounds good, but, but prove it. All right, I will. Thanks. You didn't hear anything I said this morning. That's cool with me. But hear this. If you underline your Bible still, underline this. If you want to get a tattoo, tattoo this into your body. Did he just say you can get a tattoo? I don't care. I'll show you mine. I don't care. I don't. Ephesians 2, 6. And God raised us up. And God raised us us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Guess where you are? Guess where you are? Guess why the enemy's authority is broken in your life? It's because when you came into Christ Jesus, you're not at the ground level anymore. You're at the 30,000 foot level. And so there's some things that we have to do to win this war. We have to stand fast. Next week, we're going to talk about the full armor of God. I want to invite you to be back. This thing might not be back, but I'll be back. You need to stand fast in your calling. You need to stand fast. And here, here's what this means, is that God, yes, has given us tools. I'm not going to dip into next week, but, but God has given us a place to just anchor ourselves. And if I can just oversimplify this, for you, but, but this will be true for you. This has authority for it to be true for you. As if you would just say, Jesus, I believe. I believe. You've called me. Like Paul said in Romans 8, I am an overcomer. I believe I'm standing fast. No matter what you're facing today, no matter what, if, if it is an opposition to the nature of who Jesus is in you, to the love of the Father for you, if it's an opposition to relationships in your life, you're going to say, listen, nope, nope, I'm standing fast. You're restoring relationships. Nope, I'm standing fast. I am confident in the love of the Father. Nope, I'm standing fast. You have called me and I'm not moving. I'm standing fast. Matter of fact, next week we're going to talk about that because Paul says, stand firm then. Stand firm then, having yourself girded up, right? Get the tools to, the, to do the job. Next thing we have to do is root our identity. I, I throw around this word identity a lot, and I don't want it ever to be confusing. But we've been given an identity through Jesus Christ. Well, how do I know what it is? Get in the word. Get in the word. When you're feeling pressure and you're feeling opposition, if you feel any of that, get in the Word. Why? Because you guys all got, uh, to, use a, to use a church phrase, you got a little tuned up when I was reading Ephesians 2. And that wasn't because I was getting tuned up. That was because the Word of God's alive and active. And when the Word of God says that you're with Jesus, it does something to you, doesn't. It roots your identity in something bigger than yourself. Because here's the thing, is that you, you can't do this alone. You can't do this alone. You have to know whose you are. You have to be rooted in the identity of Jesus. And one of the things, church, that we've got to get good at, we've got to get good at is knowing what that identity is. We've got to know what that identity is. I like to explain it like this. I love, 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 love watching my son play soccer. Because I know what a great soccer player he is. I've got this amazing photo. Oh, man, it, as a dad, it's like, come on, parents, we got that one picture we want to show everybody, and we know they don't care, right? Look at my kid. And everybody goes, oh, yeah, that's awesome. They're thinking, I don't care about you. This is my photo. I'm, I mean, my kids, are, my, my kids are stupid amazing. And it's by no respect any of my doing because <laughs> I'm just stupid <laughs> like right I, I, I'm not I'm only partially joking with that but I got this photo of my son playing soccer can I can I just tell you about this photo please oh let me just tell you just act like you're interested all right 
In soccer, there's this thing called a corner kick. My son plays defense, but he's tall. He's tall like me, except for taller, you know, (laughs) except for like taller. And they bring my son up, and the guy comes up on the corner, and he kicks the ball. It's called a set piece. And the guy kicks the ball from the corner, and he lobs it up over the goal. And my son's there, and he sees the ball. He tracks the ball, and he jumps, and he's jumping higher, and he's jumping higher. And he just heads that ball in the goal, and it scores. And that photo is captured right at that moment where my son's a foot above everybody else. They're all five foot, but still, it doesn't matter. No, I'm just kidding. My son's just jumping high, and he just comes down with that ball perfectly, and it's that shot where it's just coming off his head, and it's going in the goal. And I'm just like, yeah, yes, that's my boy. That's my boy. And then I'll watch him on the field, and I'll see him get distracted and distraught because of who he's playing or the way the coach is yelling and, and all these things. And I'll get down on the sideline, and I'll get, man, I, I uh, uh, let me just talk for a minute, all right? You guys, come on. It's, it's late. I'm so sorry it's late. Give me a little bit of grace. I normally preach for 30 minutes. If you're new here, it doesn't ever go this long. Lubies will be open when I'm done, all right? Just let me go for a second. And I'm the guy who almost gets kicked out of every game because I'm up there looking at everybody, no matter who it is, that I feel beating up on my son's identity and saying, shut your mouth. Don't listen to him, son. The ref's looking at me like, boy, I'm, you're, about, you're about to get red card and off the field. Don't listen to him, son. You're amazing. You're awesome. Keep your head on, son. Make your decisions good because of who you are. And so when we talk about identity, this is what we're talking about. And if you can imagine Jesus at the sideline of your life as you go through your day-to-day going, hey, don't get distracted. Don't believe that lie. Don't get caught up in that conflict. You're better than that. This is who I called you to be. This is what I say about you. You're about to go in for the goal. Root your identity, but you can't if you don't know the word. So know the word. Know the word. All right. Thank you for letting me do that. Understand the power of Jesus that's working in you. Man, read Ephesians 1, 18 through 23 over and over again. And then finally, be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Here's what that means. Pray. Pray what Jesus told us to pray. Let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Help me to forgive those who need to be forgiven. Help me to rely upon you every day, Jesus. God, lead me in your authority so that I make the decisions that need to be made that honor your calling in my life and what you've spoken about me in Stay connected to his presence. The worst thing you can do in the middle of an attack is to dislocate. Don't dislocate. Plug in. Plug into community. Plug into other believers. Sometimes, if we're just honest, there's things that we're going on. The last few weeks, I've, something has happened to me that I've never had happen. I'm, I'm, I'm going to speak very real to you guys. And I hope it sets somebody free here today. I've never dealt with fear or anxiety. But in the last two weeks, I have dealt at two different points in the week with an anxiety that has almost immobilized me. And I want to tell you how I overcame it. Is immediately I started praying. And I've and I got to be honest with you. I don't know if you agree with this. If you don't, again, I care, but I don't care to a certain level as I prayed in the Spirit. As I prayed in the Spirit. And then I called up some people and I talked to some people and I said, this is what's happening Would you just come and stand beside me? Would you just come and just hold me up? Would you just come and just say, look, it's going to be okay? And the worst thing you can do is dislocate. That being filled with the Spirit also means this, finally, we're done, is this. Is refuse to make decisions in the place of your conflict. Please, do not make decisions in your conflict because you will reach for the wrong things and you will hurt relationships, but wait for the peace of God before you move or you speak 
wait for the peace of God and move from the place of peace because the Holy Spirit will lead you in peace even though the storms are raging because you are not at the ground level. You are at the 30,000 foot level. Amen. Can I pray for you this morning? Father, this morning, we know that you're the greater one. There's no doubt about it. We know what your word says. We know there's a measure of authority that the enemy has. And not that it's useless, but we understand it so we know how to overcome. Because you've given us the keys through your word. And you lead us in those keys by your spirit. And so, Father, every person here, Lord, I make a declaration over their hearts, over their soul, over their mind, that the peace of God, the peace of God, the peace that Jesus Christ died and rose again to secure, would guard their hearts and guard their minds. That, Lord, even though in some folks here a storm may be raging, they may be feeling some pressure, that they would not relent from their calling, that they would not lose sight of their identity and the love that you have for them. Father, for those here who are standing in a place of broken relationship, because there's something raging behind the scenes. God, would you lock us in on our knees to pray harder for that person, for that relationship, that there would be peace in that Holy Spirit. You would touch that person's heart, that the blinders that are covering their eyes would be removed. Because Holy Spirit, we know you can do that. You've promised to do that. Why? Because, Father, all this for the victory and the authority of the name of Jesus, so that the name and the authority of Jesus would flow through us, that we would be a walking people that would walk so confident in the love of the Father, that the love of Jesus would flow through us, out of us, no matter what, into the world. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for what you did and what you gave us and where you seated us. Thank you, Jesus. Because you've overcome, we've overcome. Amen, amen, amen.